right, all right, all right, guys. Welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us again this week as we continue our My Story series, where every single week one of our uh, students or volunteers will be sharing what Jesus has done in their lives on the journey. And this week, our very own high school volunteer, Bob Greer, will be sharing his incredible story how he came to know Jesus and what Jesus has been doing in his life. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and uh, we're going to be focusing on the word mercy, God's mercy. So sit back, enjoy, listen up and man we just hope you are blessed by this message. Amen and amen. All right guys, well we'll Man, again, we are excited you're here, and uh, last week we began our, our My Story series with our very own Christy Calliope, and uh, we're going to continue that series tonight. A few uh, weeks ago, no, not weeks, months ago, months ago, I had a gentleman come up to me, <clears throat> and he said, hey man, I, I would love to share in that series if, if, it, if it ever worked out. And uh, man, it, it just kind of did work out, and so tonight we're going to be blessed, and uh, our very own Mr. Bob Greer is going to be bringing our story. Bob, what's up, man? You can come on up. Um, but here's what I... Hey, guys, welcome, Bob. He's so good. Does Bob, does Bob ha- not have, like, one of the best names you've ever heard? It's just, like, it's, it's, it's just strong in its simplicity, you know what I mean? Bob Greer. You know, that's like, that's like, <laughs> I reckon, I, I guess, I, I knew it wasn't, man. I know you've got a, uh, some kind of secret agent background, but um, no, what I love about Bob um, and what I, I'm not going to spoil too much. I'm just going to let him know a little bit. Bob is, um, I won't tell him your, your age. Bob is wise. Okay. He's wise. I'll say that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, man. Bob's got a few years under his belt, but you've only been walking with Jesus for seven years. Seven years. And I don't know if you guys know this, but statistically speaking, if you don't believe in Jesus before the age of 18, the probability of someone believing in Jesus after the age of 18 rapidly declines. The, the statistics are unbelievable how low it gets. So Bob really is like this anomaly. He's, he's like this rarity in the statistical pool. And as we've talked about your story and your love for Jesus, one thing always stands out to me about Bob, this is what I love about him, is, and I told you this the other day, we were grabbing lunch together, I said, Bob, you just are so authentic, like every time you talk about Jesus, sometimes you get a little choked up, sometimes like you start thinking about your past life and you just can't believe God would forgive you, and he hasn't even told me everything he did in his, in his past life, I mean, he's, that's, I know you're a secret agent, man, like I know, I know, dude, like somewhere back there, you're like, yeah, man, I had to like... Anyway, um, <laughs> it's only coffee, I promise. Uh, no, but I love like Bob's authentic- authenticity, his sincerity, and your sensitivity. Every time this guy thinks about the ways that God has loved him and forgiven him, he, he gets emotional about it. He gets choked up, and that's just such a beautiful and refreshing thing. It's not like this put-it-in-a-box story. It's not this like, hey, here's a pattern, you know, here's my life, and it's pretty predictable. I grew up in the church. He didn't. He just got this very unique story, and it's authentic. It's sincere. And so, Bob, I know you're a tiny bit nervous tonight. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, man, we're, we're excited to hear from you, dude. I'm excited to hear what God has done in your life. So I'm going to pray a blitz prayer over you, and then I'm going to let you have it, man. All right? Father, we pray for our brother Bob, Bob Greer. And uh, <laughs> we pray, Father, that you would just speak to him and through him and speak to our hearts. We love you, and we thank you so much for um, showing love and forgiveness to this man and to all of us. Because that's what you do. Uh, Father, we, we just pray, Spirit, we just pray you be here with us. Speak to us. Pull us towards you tonight through this story and what you've done in his life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Man, I'm, I'm a very, very humbled, and I'm a little nervous to be here as well. Um, but, yeah, I get, I get to tell how, how God has worked through my life and in spite of all I've been and who, who I was. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, I hope that, my hope would be that, that, that Jesus is glorified tonight and that, that, that you would see past me through him, uh, to him. Um, I did write some notes. I don't want to make it seem like, but I just want to stay on track is why I have some notes. But I hope that most of it comes from, from my heart, really. Um, so let's, let's, let's get started, as the YouTubers would say, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Hey, right, let's get started. Yeah. Um, so, as Matt said, my, my main theme for the night would be mercy. Look at that. And so, I figured before we get started, let's, let's, let's look at a definition of mercy. And so, what I did when I was kind of doing some study this week, I just went to, um, just went to Google and I said, hey, Google, what is, what is mercy? Um, and the first definition I saw was from a, a, a site called dictionary.com. Um, and this is, this is the... This is defi- the definition the world would have of mercy. It's a compassion or kindly forbearance shown to an, a, toward an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. Compassion, piss, pity, or benevolence. And I thought, you know, that's, that's actually a pretty good definition. It's very close to how Christians would de- define mercy. Um, but then I went to my, my very, one of my favorite sites to go to when I have, when I have questions. I have, have questions about, about how, how, how God acted in the Old Testament or... You know, I just have, what does this mean in scripture? And it's a site called Got Questions. I actually recommend it to anybody who has your own questions. Uh, but Got, Got Questions would define mercy this way, and I, I think it's very good. Um, and they say God, uh, mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve uh, and deliverance from judgment. And so we'll start with that. I mean, that's, that's mercy as, as the Bible would define it. Um, very close to how the world would define it. God not giving us what we deserve. Uh, there is a scripture I'd, li- I'd like to build what I, we, my story around. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go there as well real quick. That's Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. We'll look at the second half of that later. Um, Ephesians 2, chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians, yeah, Ephesians 2, chapter let me get back on track here, sorry. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's where my story starts. As Matt said, I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. 
Um, now, we, we, I, I can say we did go to church, um, a, a, a church of Christ in a small town, and uh, the name of the town was Tilton, Illinois, um, like 700 people. If you can think of like Mayberry, that was kind of Mayberry North, you know, that kind of town, a little small place. Probably the only church in town was a community kind of thing. Everybody went to church, right? Um, I remember being baptized when I was five, six maybe. I really don't honestly remember. Um, but, I, but I have no clue of what I learned or what it meant to be a Christian at that time. No idea. Like I said, I, I, my family consisted of, consisted of my mom and my two sisters. Um, and my mom was, um, was married, I think, four times and twice to the same, to the same guy. Um, so a rather broken kind of family environment. She had multiple boyfriends or people that would be in the house at different times. Um, so I kind of, I really clung tightly to, uh, to her, her brother, which was my uncle, and he was, he was close to me. And I was probably, I don't know, I just, you know, young men, young guys, young boys, they, they, need, a, they, need, they need a father figure. So that, was, that was my guy. And he became my, my best friend. Like, if you ask me who's your best friend, it's Jim. Jim's, Jim's your uncle. Yeah, he's my best friend. Um, and that was him. Uh, yeah, and um, I, don't, I don't remember how old I was. I don't even remember this entire story. Um, and people say that, that I, I may have even been there and actually witnessed this happen. I can't tell you that's the truth or not. Um, but he was helping my grandparents. Uh, back in the old days, we had antennas on our houses. <laughs> no clue what I'm talking about there. That's how you got TV reception. You had to have an antenna. It's kind of like the radio. And you don't know what that is either. <laughs> but, but um, man, okay, helping to put up an antenna, it, it receives signal. There you go. Um, I'm really just messing with y'all. Um, and it, it was tall, you know, that was kind of the idea. The taller you could get it and the bigger it could be, the better reception you'd get, the more channels you pick up on your TV, right? We all know about wanting to get all the channels on our TV. Um, so he was doing this thing for her, and my, one of my stepdads was there at the time, and they were, he was helping. And I was out in the yard playing, because you know, Jim was there, I was there, right? Um, something very tragic happened. This pole he was working on, I don't know, he was at the top or something, it came loose. And as it fell, he, was, he, he clung to it, I suppose, and it fell into a power pole. My best friend was killed on the spot. That, that affected our entire family, as you, you can imagine. He was my, my best friend. Um, but I remember it really affected my mom, and she, she, was, she was close to Jim. The brothers and sisters would be like, I think she was older than him, so you know, kind of that kind of thing going on too. She cared for him. Um, but I remember she sought answers, and she wanted to know she wanted to know about this tragedy that happened. And so she turned to church. She turned to the church we were going to. Um, and I remember she wasn't, she wasn't satisfied, and they couldn't provide her with, with whatever, whatever she needed she wasn't getting from them. And so she completely walked away. Uh, whatever faith she may have had, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But after that, it was, it was no longer there at all. And she, she sought help other ways. Um, she, she got into... And I'm not, I'm not making jokes or, or anything about this. Um, she, she very seriously took, um, 
to the arts of what, what the Bible would call divination um, into spiritual things. You know, she, she would hold seances with friends, not, no joke. Um, she, would, she would draw power from certain rocks or stones. Um, so that's, that's the family life I grew up in. No, no real dad. My best friend died at a young age, who, who I would have called you know, close to me as anybody. And my mom couldn't find any help anywhere, and she, she turned to this life. It's as far from Christianity as I could be, I think. My mom married her last husband about the same time I, I started middle school. Um, he was originally from Tennessee, and it wasn't long after that he got a, another job back down in that area, and we all moved to Tennessee, and, and that's actually where I still call home today. Um, I love, love the state of Tennessee. Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> but I've grown to love South Carolina, too, for many other reasons, but, but, but that's my home. That's, that's where I call home now. Um, so middle school into high school, you know, you're starting a new place and new friends and just trying to find identity, never really having any of my own. Man, it's, it was just who I was. I just I didn't really have any real friends ever. Um, I played football in high school. It was horrible, but I loved it. Uh, and it gave me some, some form of identity, some form of, of who I was. I, I play football. Um, but if you were to define me at that time in my life as I left high school, I was probably just a guy looking, looking for any group I could fit into, looking, looking to find some approval from others. That was, that was very much me. Um, so I, I, I had always had this fascination with the military that was, I don't know, something about it. I think me and Matt talked about it the other day, and Top Gun, any Top Gun? Yeah. Anybody familiar with that movie? I know, it's, I know that's really old. <laughs> but that, that actually, like, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly fighter jets. I wanted to do all that cool stuff. Um, yeah, it probably wasn't in my cards ever to go to college. It just wasn't. I left some stuff out that I could have gotten into. We were, we were pretty poor and some other things, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily affect who I was. Oh. But there was, no, there was no, nothing in my cards that would send me to college. It wasn't going to happen. I was, I was plenty smart enough probably. I made straight A's more or less, um, unless I just didn't want to care for a class. And The only D I ever made in my life was in French too, I think. Don't take French. Anyhow, but, uh, but, but, but this Marine recruiter came up to me one day and he said, hey, we can make you a Marine and you can fix airplanes. That's almost as good as flying them, right? I was like, okay. He said, well, we have the coolest uniforms. And I said, yeah, you do. Um, he said, you can travel the world and you can do all these things. And it just sounded great. And he said, we'll give you identity and you'll be the best of the best. So I joined, I joined the Marine Corps in 1992. No. Well, yeah, I joined the Marine Corps in 92, left in January of 93 for boot camp. Uh, they taught me a skill, how to work on airplanes. I still do that today. Um, stationed at Cherry Point. I think I heard somebody mention that last week. That's pretty cool. Um, spent six years of my life there. And um, a good portion of that time away from, away from Cherry Point, uh, doing med cruises and, and you know, just out, out doing things, supporting, supporting our troops on the ground. And the Marine Corps, uh, the more uh, I really got to thinking about this this week, is yeah, yeah, it does, 
it does give you an identity. Um, and they, they actually hold to a very high conduct standards. Um, you know, when you, you have the nice haircut and it, it's very regimented and you wear the nice uniforms and, you know, in public, you, you'd be the guy that would hold open the door for the old ladies. You would, you would do those things. You, that was, was part of who you were as a Marine. But there's a, there's a completely different life that most people don't see. And if I were to define it today, most of, most of the guys I knew in the Marine Corps, and probably I would guess most of the people in college today of, of that age group, you know, 19 to 27, off on their own, doing their own thing. Um, even though we, we had these high standards for ourselves, our lives were not defined by those, those high standards. So if I, had to, if I had to throw two things out there that would define who Marines really are, I say that because that's the environment I was in. Uh, very, much, very much into heavy drinking and sexual immorality. Uh, and the one I, I sort of leaned most to was, was the heavy drinking. That was, that was me, partying and, and the things that go with that. Living, living completely that lifestyle. I don't, I don't, I won't get into much of that. And I, there's plenty of things I've done. I'm, I'm ashamed of today. But I will say there is a day in my past, a day, um, day where I nearly drank myself to death. Um, it's the truth. So, so that doesn't happen by accident. Those things, you, you leave a, lead a lifestyle that gets you to that point. So you, you can determine whatever that means for yourselves, but, but it's true. It's true of me. <laughs> you know what's funny about that, though? Why that be true um, is that had little to no effect on who I was. Can you imagine that? So that's my marine life from 1993 to 1996. And then a very good thing happened to me. Uh, a friend of mine who was, uh, had a friend in, in this area of South Carolina, I think Green, Greenwood, no, not Greenwood, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence. I had a cousin going to school in Clemson. Um, he said, hey, Bob, you want to go down to Clemson for the weekend? I said, I don't even know where Clemson is. Is it away from here, this area here? He said, yeah. He said, all right, let's go. It's a college town? Yeah. Will there be girls there? Yeah. Yes. Yes, let's go. I'm just telling you what my life was like. I'm just I'm trying to be honest. Um, and we get there, and, and I, I meet two two people really there. Um, Ty's roommate, um, and and a, and a young lady named Jennifer. Um, and, and since the moment we've we've met, we've either dated or been engaged, and, and now she's my wife actually. Um, so, like I said, a very very good thing happened to me in '96. 
It wasn't long after we started dating that, that part of our lives where it became clear that if I wanted to continue this relationship with her, that her family, um, you know, they went to church. That was part of their lives. So I, didn't, I wasn't necessarily opposed to God. I was like, okay, I can, I can go to church. So I started going to church. Um, it's just over here in Malden. There's a Methodist church over there, Malden United Methodist, where we went to church. Um, and I started doing, I started doing those things. I started living that life. And, and as I was studying this week, it dawned on me how similar that part of my life was with my Marine Corps life. Like I, I put on this thing, Christianity, I added it to my life. Um, you know, I, I, started, I started saying certain things or doing certain things. Um, I started cleaning myself up on the outside, right? My outward appearance people, I hoped, was, you know, this guy's a Christian. Seemed like a good, a good thing to be part of. So I would say that's what my life was like from, from when I started until probably two-ish years before I was, before I was converted. Um, so 96 to somewhere around 2009, that was me. It's all cleaned up on the outside. But then, then God started confronting me. Um, started confronting me with but the question is, are you, are you sure you're a Christian? And I can tell you three stories that stick out to my, to my, in my mind today um, and how he, he asked that question to me. There was a time I was working at Lockheed Martin over here in Greenville. Um, and I was not quite a crew lead, but kind of a guy that would run some stuff on the floor and help the crew lead out, do that kind of stuff. And, and a friend of mine that was kind of working for me then was, was telling me a story about a guy who um, a couple years prior to him telling me this story, was, was, uh, became a born, he started talking about this born-again Christian and, and how this guy was, was different and changed and, and how all of these things about him were, were just different. And I remember telling the guy, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Um, and the guy kind of just looked past me and kept on with his story, right? And I remember saying it again, I'm, I'm a Christian. And I don't know, I can't remember exactly whether he actually said these words or this is what stuck out of my mind. Like, I, but as if, as if he said, and he may have actually said it, no, no, I'm talking about a real Christian. And then, um, still at Lockheed Martin, um, another friend of mine and I, and I had taken a job teaching classes in the training department. Um, teaching other guys how to, you know, mostly safety classes, things like that. Not, nothing, nothing real serious, but just the required training is what I would do. Um, and another guy in in the in the same office we had, we, um, like I knew already that this guy was different than me, and he would always press me with questions, and he would just he would he was always direct with them. He didn't care, um, and he would ask me certain things, and and I remember one day. We were outside working on something together, trying to build something, put it together, and bring it back into the sh- like a little shop downstairs. Um, 
and he was just asking me questions about the gospel and telling me about it. And I finally said, Perry, I just, I just don't believe God can forgive my sins. I just, just don't believe it. Luckily for me, Perry, Perry didn't stop being my friend at that point. He, you know, um, he, just, he just kept on caring for me. Um, it wasn't long after that that the, that the, job, the job that I had been hired for at Lockheed actually was going to go away. Uh, we had lost a contract and some things were, were going downhill and, and we knew it was happening pretty quick. Perry said, hey... You know, before this actually happens, I have, we have, there's an opportunity to go to work in Macon. Um, and I, my family happens to have some, some family land down there with a house. And he said, how about we take this job um, and we can both live there and commute back and forth to work. And in Macon, we'd work three days and come back home for four and then work another four days and come back home from three. And I said, well, you know, if we're going to work on the road, that doesn't sound like the worst deal in the world. So I did it. I did it with him. So this meant every day of my life for the period of time I was down there, I got to actually live with Perry, who, who I knew was a Christian. And I got to see his life and who he was and how he acted and how he, how he seemed to trust God no matter what. And I don't think he was putting on for me. I mean, I got to see him when he woke up in the morning, right? We, got, we, got, we woke up, we got ready for work, went to work, we rode to work together. Every moment of his life, just about... I was around him, and I got, I got to know that, that something was different about him. And so, so looking back on it today, I can say that I was just exactly like the scribes and Pharisees and the hypocrites that Jesus was talking to in Matthew 23 when he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you're all cleaned up on the outside. He said, but inside you're full of dead bones. That was me. I was full of dead bones. I had no particular affection for God. I had no particular care for what Jesus had done for me. I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with the scripture passage I put up earlier. Um, but that's not the end of that section of scripture. There's two, two great words that come next. And then many, many, many pastors and many theologians and many people over the years have said these are the two greatest words in the Bible. Um, the next two words are but God. But God. And I, and I, and I, I did some, a little bit of research on this and I, I found a, a great article uh, and I kind of took a quote from Desiring God's website. Um, and I thought this is, this is, this is the, the, the this is the very good, good very good way to explain but God. So what you put up the quote. 
But God, these two words are overflowing with gospel for sinners like you and me who were lost and completely unable to save ourselves. There may not be two more hopeful words that we could utter or hear. So then in December, um, December 11th, 2011, actually, it's a Sunday, um, sometime in the middle of the night, I think it was around 2.30, 3 o'clock, I don't even know. And I don't even know how to explain this part of my life. I can't, I can't give you words that would explain it properly. I'll just tell you how I experienced it. Is I was woken from my sleep, startled, awake. Um, and I audibly heard these words. I will show you something today. Um, obviously, after that, I didn't, I didn't go back to sleep. I, I couldn't sleep after that. I had no idea what that was about. That, that particular day was like any other Sunday for us. At that point in time, you know, we would go to church in the mornings on Sunday, and it was in the winter, so that meant I was coaching basketball for Will's church basketball team. Um, so we had church in the morning, and nothing particular crazy happened then. Yeah, I was very aware, like, what's, what's going to happen today? Um, at basketball practice, it wasn't all that much different. There's, there was this one particular kid that was on our team, and he was old. Like, I, I, don't, don't misunderstand me. I love children. I even loved children then, I think, um, as best I could. <laughs> um, and I loved working with him, and, and just doing what I could do, but... This one guy, man, he was always just like he would, like it was almost intentional in his mind to do everything he could to push you to the limits. And that day seemed particularly worse than others. But we got through it and practice was more or less okay. And I just remember thinking, oh, okay, maybe that's what you needed to show me today. I don't know. Um, but later that day, I had also signed up to go to a, um, to Triune Mercy Center. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. It's, I think it's ran by the Methodist Church in Greenville, uh, maybe by the same name. And they serve, they serve meals uh, to homeless people. I think on, I don't know if it's every day of the week, but I know for sure on Sundays. Sorry. And I had signed up to go do that, just serve and, and help serve meals to homeless people. Um, Sorry for the long pauses. I apologize for that. And I, I got there, and I'm just, I'm just like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. This is new to me. I've never done this thing before. Um, and one of my friends was there, and he said, hey, usually I just do the tea. You want to just help serve tea? I said, that sounds, that sounds easy, and I can do it. Let's, let's do the tea. Um, so I took this, you know, the, the pictures of tea and was pouring tea for, the, for all the people there. And the, and the more I walked around, the more I started to notice things. Uh, all of these people came from, you could tell, it wasn't hard to tell. All these people came from different backgrounds and, and lifestyles, and you could tell some, some were likely just recently homeless. Some had probably been doing this thing for quite some time. All different classes and races. I noticed they had one thing, most of them all had one thing in common. 
They all had their own little, like, backpack or bag, right? <clears throat> and if you look closely enough, you could tell that was, that was like their stuff. And when, I, when I say their stuff, I mean that was their life. Their complete life in a bag. And the more I walked around and noticed things, like they would take like the apples off the table, right, and kind of wrap them up and put them in their bag, or they'd take an extra piece of bread and, and put it in their bag. And I realized they were, they were likely saving that food for later when they were hungry again. And through that, through that, through that, God, God began to work in my heart. And I had compassion that day for complete strangers like I'd never had before. And I saw that, that, that in that, 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 that compassion he gave me, and, a, and even in a strange way, a new, a new love for him was starting to form my life. But I'd also, I'd also seen how much mercy he'd had on me. Like he could have quite literally left me laying face down in the ditch. A number of my decisions would have put me in the same place as many of those people. He had shown me great mercy. And the more I thought on that and considered that, the more I, I mean, the more I considered the gospel might be true. Maybe Jesus really did die on the cross to save sinners like me. Maybe. Maybe it's true. And the, the more I thought on it, the more I considered it, the more I saw all these people and had, had these thoughts and feelings I'd never, never experienced before the more I knew it was true. I knew, I knew it was true. God did, in fact, love me. Um, I just remember going to my car, right? In the, in the middle of Triune Mercy Center parking lot in my 2003 Honda Civic on a cold, rainy December day, I surrender my life to God. And I remember telling him, I'm, just, I'm, so, I'm sorry for the life I've lived, but I know now that you, you love me and I want to love you back. I cried all the way home, right? All the way home, I was crying. Probably for like three or four days after that, every time I thought about it, I'd just cry. And I remember telling all the people I could even think of to tell. I, don't, I didn't even know how to explain it, right? I, didn't, I had no category for, for what this was in my life. I had no idea what it was. All I knew was I had experienced something new. And I had new affections for people, and I had new affections for God. So that was, um, that was seven years ago. That's how, I, that's how I came to know Jesus. 
And of course, of course, there's been plenty of times where, where I've wandered back down that old path and my, my heart has had, you know, wanted to go back in those places. Um, and God continues to confront my sin today. And I've heard the enemy many times, many, many, many times tell me the lie, you're not really a child of God. You're not his. But now I can stand up and say, no, it's not true. He saved me. He saved me. So I keep running back to him. And when I run back, I find mercy again. Every time. Every time. So there's a chance that if, if you've never known saving faith, that you might be sitting here today asking yourself you know, the same question I may have asked myself at some point, or the same question, and I wrote down here, the same question, and this is a great story in the Bible. It's, it's in the book of Acts. Acts is my, my favorite book. It's the very first book I ever fell in love with. When I started reading it as a new Christian, I was like, What? <laughs> It's amazing. But there's a story about a, um, Paul and Silas are in prison um, for preaching the gospel of all things. And a, a Philippian jailer is responsible for them, and, and God sends this thing that happens, and bra- he literally breaks them out of jail. And the Philippian jailer is kind of beside himself, knowing that the people that are above him are kind of looking at him and saying, how did these people get out? The Philippian jailer runs to Paul and Silas. He says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answer very quickly, actually. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe, believe Jesus stepped down from his throne, took on skin, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we we in fact deserve he was put in the grave but as we get to celebrate next week he didn't stay there he didn't stay there he rose he was resurrected and that proved I like put the stamp on all of the work he ever did it proved he has power over death over sin and he and he was raised to glory with the Father, where he reigns with him today. And he will come back, and all his people will be joined to him forever. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, I also want to talk to you guys that are already believers. And I want to tell you how encouraged I am to be around you all every week. Um, and that it, there's a part of me that's even, even a little jealous that you, you have faith way before I ever, ever had faith. So I want to encourage you in that. Like, God doesn't grant faith by accident. He's given it to you. And I, I would encourage you to take hold of it. Take hold of it and run with it. With, with all that you are. Trust Jesus with your lives. I believe he honors faithfulness. 
I believe he honored faithfulness in the two guys I told you a story about, right? This one guy, I didn't even know his name, but this other guy was telling a story about how this life was changed and he was living this new life. He had shown his faithfulness to him and then was passing the story on to me. I got to see just, just ordinary Christian faithfulness in the guy that, that took me with him to Macon, Georgia and just lived, lived a life trusting Jesus. So don't under, underestimate the power of, of just, just living a faithful life to Jesus as well. Not that this, I want to say just that. No, it's a great and marvelous thing to be a child of the, of the king. Man, I want to thank you all so much. This is, this, just, just your attentiveness is amazing. I, I appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful and grateful to, to have been here and been able to, to just tell how, how I've received mercy. Yeah. Guys, let's give it up for Bob. Oh. Mr. Bob Greer. Hey, it was hitting me over there. Here's what hit me, dude, and, and this is what I've been so drawn to about your story is, you know, I said it's so rare that someone after the age of 18 believes in Jesus, truly believes in Jesus. Uh, the few adults in my life that I've met that that's happened to, I've noticed the same thing about each and every one of them, and you have it too, man. They all seem to know the weight of their past and the gravity of what Jesus had to do and why he had to do it. And, you, and, and I think that's what I'm so drawn to. Like, the, the reality is, you know, for a lot of us who believe in Jesus when we're like three or four or whatever, and then we kind of grow up in it, it's hard to look back as a three-year-old and be like, I mean, how bad of a sinner was I, right? Like, it's hard. <laughs> you were the worst. <laughs> it's hard. But, um, but people who didn't grow up with that, people who it was just absent, and then as, a, a, as an adult, as a, a grown man or a grown woman, you, you decide to believe in Jesus. Like, you have to come to grips with Dude, for decades, this has been my life apart from him. And, uh, dude, that weight and gravity of his sacrifice is so evident in your story. So thank you for calling us to that, man, and, uh, and for bringing us to the mercy of God tonight. So thanks, Bob. I appreciate it, dude. I appreciate it. I'm going to close us in prayer, bro. Father, uh, thank you so much for this brother and his story. And, uh, Father... Bob and I were talking this week, and, and we were kind of marinating on two words. One was grace, and one was mercy. And, uh, Father, we kind of landed on the grace of God is, is giving us things that we don't deserve. God just lavishing his grace on us. And then we started marinating on this word mercy. And, Father, we were reminded that if, if grace is you giving us what we don't deserve, your mercy is not giving us that which we do deserve. And the reality is, apart from Jesus, uh, Father, we deserve the results of our sin. But your mercy steps into the picture, the two great words that Bob shared, but God, you step into our picture and you show us mercy. You don't give us what we do deserve and you give us what we don't deserve and you show us mercy and grace. And Father, Bob's story is such a testament to that. Father, we thank you for showing us grace and mercy. We thank you for stepping in. We thank you for the but God. We thank you that even when we were dead in our trespasses, you decided, no, I'm going to step into this story and totally rewrite this thing. And Father, we thank you for the sincere heart that you've given Bob to just share this, to say, man, here's who I was and here's what Jesus did and here's how good that is. I pray 
Father, in, in some maybe distant day or maybe even an immediate day, that you would <clears throat> speak to us, just like in the middle of the night, just like you did with Bob, but maybe you would just speak to our hearts and something about this story would, would, would come to the surface, some seed that God planted, and we would be reminded of your grace and your mercy and how you step into our stories and you forgive us and you call us out of our lives to live a better one with you. Jesus, we do love you, and we thank you for Bob and his amazing story. We ask that you would bless him and his family. Bless us, um, Jesus. Please plant something in our hearts that we need to hear from this. We ask all this in your name. Amen.